Beyond the Ranch with Jay Gannon from Find the Ranch. All right. Welcome, Dan and Margaret, to our little Beyond the Wrench podcast here. I appreciate you both taking time out of your day to, to join us and talk about some things that I think are really sorely needed to talk about. So before we get kicked off in the in the podcast and the meat of the podcast itself, why don't we do some quick introductions? Margaret, if you wouldn't mind starting, uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. My name is Margaret Reagan. I'm the Association Outreach Coordinator for Northwest Automotive Trades Association. And as part of that, I reach out to our members, which are members throughout the automotive industry, collision, repair, towing, dismantlers, parts people, any of those types of business. And what we were hearing from everybody is that they're shorthanded, which is, you know, everybody knows. And so we felt that the only way we could support our members, we can't be an employment agency. You can't find technicians if none exist. So the best way for us to support our members was to make sure the schools are supported so that the source of our technicians is stable. And so that's what we try and do is stay in touch with all the schools and reach out to them on a regular basis with job openings or donation opportunities or training events, anything like that that comes up. We try to stay in touch with them so they know that they've got an ear. There's somebody to listen to and somebody they can call if they've got questions or needs. So that's what we've been doing a lot. That's great. Dan? Yeah, I'm Dan Plecker. I work with the uh, Education Foundation of the Wisconsin Auto and Truck Dealer Association as their state education director, which means I I just help our schools, high school, college with any automotive collision, diesel programs. We do training for instructors. We do scholarships for students. We are running middle school camps now to get kids interested at a younger age into the transportation industry. So anything we can do to help that pathway into the transportation industry. Well, it's a, it's a true pleasure to have both of you join me today. I always enjoy my conversations with both of you. And, and really what prompted our conversation or this podcast today was uh, a meeting that I attended with Dan a, a few weeks back. And I gave a presentation on some of the School Connect stuff we're doing through Wrenchway And Dan had been doing a a presentation about youth apprenticeship to a bunch of instructors. And one of the things that really stuck out to me during that conversation, and something I've heard over the course of my career, is the reluctance for a shop to bring somebody in maybe that's a little bit younger, right? So somebody that's maybe in high school or, you know, under 18 because of insurance reasons or because of some other reason. And so... Some of the things that I've talked about with both of you, I think, hit home with me in particular on trying to really identify what those areas are. Are there opportunities around that so that we can really focus on bringing more youth into the industry and actually having them know that we have an industry, right? Like, I think there's a lot of of kids uh, and young adults that might not know the opportunity that's out there. So I want to kick it off by talking about just that. And, and maybe identifying some of those areas that you hear in terms of where's the skepticism or where's the reluctance to hire a younger person and is it valid, right? So I'll start off with you, Dan. What do you see with shops and, and their maybe 
I don't want to say insecurity, but their their level of maybe not wanting to take the risk of hiring a young person in, in their shop? Well, I mean, years ago when I was teaching, I'd go out and meet service managers and encourage them to hire my students. I, I did get a lot of the insurance problem. Our insurance won't allow that, which I, I took that to mean, no, they're not going to hire my students. And we've done a lot of work in that area. And I, I've worked with the insurance industry and, and I have pretty much, it's, it's not an issue. It, it doesn't exist. There's not an insurance underwriter in the country that will tell you, you can't hire somebody under 18. You may have an insurance agent who doesn't want to deal with it, but <laughs> there's not a, a company that will, that will have that as a statement. Uh, they do expect the business to have a plan and they should working with somebody uh, younger. What is your plan? How will this, what will the student do? What won't they do? And as long as you have that plan and present it to your insurance, there should not be an issue. And Margaret, do you see anything similar out, out where you're at? Well, it's interesting because I actually was trying to place a 15-year-old a couple of weeks ago. His dad called and he's a big 15-year-old. He's like 6'2 and he really loves working on cars. And so he was hoping I could help. You know, He got referred to me to try and find somebody who would take him. So I made a lot of calls. So in the state of Oregon, in order to hire anybody between the ages of four, 14 and 17, you have to have an employment certificate. So you have to have that on file to hire them. And then the second thing was, you know, they were throwing the insurance thing out. I didn't pursue that. But then the other thing is that they wanted to have a driver's license. So that rules out the 15-year-old. And the so then the 16-year-old part comes in. But there is a reluctance. And I almost think that what we have to have is there's very few shops that I would send a 15 year old to. So, and the shops that I would send them to, they've got a really good structure in place. So I almost wonder if there shouldn't be some kind of structure or outline for the potential employer to, to know how to deal with this young, young person. But as far as employment certificates, so many of these employers are like, I don't have time to deal with getting an employment certificate so I can get a 15 year old in so I can babysit him. Yeah. So I think. There's that factor as well. And I understand that because some of those kids will be babysitting, right? Yeah. And I, I think it's maybe even from just a general paradigm shift that we could help ourselves out a lot as an industry and maybe changing it from babysitting, just that word from babysitting to mentoring or babysitting to leading, you know, like you have so much opportunity as a, a manager to be able to impact somebody's life and show them how many opportunities are in this industry and how impactful that could be to you. So I'm curious as to what the both of you see in, in the industry in terms of, Margaret, you hit on a really good point with how comfortable are we with some of these shops that when we send a young person there that they're going to get taken care of? I have a handful in the metro area that I refer to, but, and there may be others, but I've got a certain group, you know, there's certain shops. I know that they're going to have the support system for a young person coming in. And there's certain shops. I know they're running around with their hair on fire. You put a kid in there and they're going to get lost in the mix. They're going to be left cleaning and scrubbing and, you know, not learning anything. They're just going to be the grunt you know, because there's nobody who has time to spend with them. So, I mean, there's that structure again, that needs to be in place. You know, maybe it's educating the, the, the owner of the business on, you know, how best to utilize this, 
the student. I don't know if that answers your question or not. I agree. I mean, that is a big part of my job is also working with our businesses to teach them how to work with a youth apprentice student. So we have a statewide youth apprentice program that is very structured. It identifies the tasks that the student must see and do on, on their work site. So that helps. But the critical is that mentor. They have to be assigned a mentor who can work with that student. And I every uh, service manager I talk to, I, I'll say right away, I know you have techs who should not be your mentors. And they agree. <laughs> we, we don't want, there are certain people that cannot mentor the student. You're right. But you, you also have ones that can, that have some coaching experience or they have kids of their own. And, you know, so they, they understand because it does take, it does take some training for that mentor to understand how to work with this student as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you hit on a point there too, Dan, where with the youth apprenticeship program, that's a program that I went through when I was growing up. You talked through some of the stats and I, I don't recall what the stats were, but the likelihood that they would stay in the industry if they went through a youth apprenticeship program was drastically higher than if they weren't associated in high school or at a younger age. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, that's for businesses that want to wait and just hire that student when they graduate tech school and they're trained, I'll hire them then. And I just said, well, they're not going to be there nope. because you didn't hire them at 16 and 17 and mentor them into the school to even go into the program, let alone graduate from it. So I really put the onus on the businesses that you have to help fill those tech school programs. Yeah. Well, and that, oh, go ahead, Margaret. Sorry about that. Well, the what the thing that I've been thinking about putting together is a brochure of all the programs that are available in the state that could sit on the desk at a shop so that more parents could see what's available. And then this, these, these shops, I don't think they know what programs are nearest to them. That's no. the other thing is so often I'll be talking to a shop and they're like, oh, I, I thought that program closed down. I'm like, no, it hasn't closed down. It's expanded and they need you. Oh, well, that's interesting. You know, so I, I think that that's part of it, too, is that I don't think the, the shops are aware of what's nearby, what's available to them. And then again, right. you've got the team that are being expected to do this outreach to the shops to find placement for their students. And how is that their job? What made that their job to market, to write themselves grants, to promote their program? It, it doesn't make any sense. They just don't, they don't run it like a business. They don't, well, it, they need somebody programs. Yeah. And in many cases, that's not the job they signed up for, right? Like they, they wanted to influence young people. They wanted to be able to teach. And, you know, I, I talk to a lot of schools uh, in both the tech school and high school side but on the tech school side, it's always funny to me because they're like, the last thing I want to be doing is going out and recruiting into our program. And our we don't feel like our recruiting department for our college truly knows what our program is. So when they go out to a high school, there's not, you know, the, they're trying to connect the dots and understand what the recruiter even told the student in the first place and, be, and being able to kind of reshape that. So I, I, do you see that at all where, you know, it sounds like you do in terms of the recruitment side of getting these programs full, but are you seeing the other side of that where maybe shops are starting to step up a little bit? Mm -hmm. I do. 
I do see that a lot, especially, especially because the outreach, you know, we, I personally voluntold people for a lot of things. So, you know, either I'm asking for a donation event that's coming up for students, or I'm calling and saying, Hey, you know, do you have something to donate or, but it's, it's this physical outreach. It's, a single individual marketing to these shops to try to get more attention to the schools, which is just, it's a phenomenal undertaking to try to reach all of them to do that. And, you know, that's where I think that it just needs to get turned around where these schools are, you know, looking for places for these students to improve the success. Right. And I think that's the importance of getting them in at a young age too, right. Where if, if they're, you know, like Dan had mentioned in his presentation, the likelihood they stay if they're in a shop at a young age is drastically better. Dan, when when we look at that, what can we do to maybe pull down the curtain on some of the easy excuses of why we wouldn't pull somebody in at a young age, right? Like, it, and I don't know, one of the things that I want to dive into is it, it, the parts that are state to state and the parts that are like national, right? So I'm guessing California is probably different than Oregon in terms of what the rules are around young people working in a business, but how do we kind of get through all the BS to like, this is what I can do as a shop owner or manager. Like this, these are the things that I can do. What, what do we do? I mean, I, I think there's just so many fallacies out there that it's really hard to, to, to understand. And I know from myself as a shop manager at one point, I didn't know what, which way was up. Like it was really hard to understand the programs and what we could do. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, every school has students who want to go into this industry. I am convinced of that. I I don't care what kind of your college prep school, there's students that want to go into the transportation industry there. So it's a matter of first, the school needs to identify or somehow encourage that and then give them a pathway. And that, that pathway has to lead to getting them into a store into a service center and and it can be as easy as a job shadow just to get there and actually get past the warm cookies in the waiting room and get back and be alongside a tech and a service writer parts department and see what really happens back there and i think the stores that i see and dealers that i work with that are real successful in bringing kids in any way they can get students to their building they will do it um, they will always encourage that. And uh, again, once you get them there, well, now you have to entice them. This is not a, you know, you're no longer, you know, picking and choosing who you want to come and work at your business. You want more and more people in this industry. So you have to give them a show. You have to make sure they enjoy their visit and get them interested in it. You know, I, again, the whole mentoring them into your industry it is far easier for a business to mentor a student out of your industry than to mentor them in. So you have to do it with some thought that I want this person to want to come into this and do it a career. And kids want to know, they want to know the future. They don't want to know what am I going to do now? How do I get to be this person? How do I get into this job? They want to see a, a pathway to success. And that's what you have to show, I believe, early on to get them started. Well, and you know, the other thing that we can do is we can appeal to the shop owner by saying, this is a marketing opportunity for you. So for instance, we did a, an event in the Reynolds School District and it was called Auto Blast. 
And this is, they have, it's a transitional learning program. These students don't know what they want to do. And so they did a busload, like 10 or 15 students. And I found six different shops and they took these kids on this field trip and they went to each of these shops along the way. Well, the shop that I was worked with the most closely, I said, okay, let's make this fun for them. So when these kids got to that shop, they got the business card and the brochure of the business, right? But they also got some swag. They got some hats and stuff. So now they're going home to their mom and dad saying, check this out. I went to this place today. So that parent is being exposed to what you've just done for their kid, right? So now you've got a potential customer because you know that kid, there's two or three cars in their household. So maybe that's where the appeal is going to be to be reaching out to these schools is that it's a marketing opportunity to get to these parents and show them that you've got something to offer beyond fixing their car. You've got, you know, you're interested in their kids, you're supporting their kid. And, you know, you get this exposure that where are you going to get exposure to 30 cars, 10 kids, three cars per household, 30 cars. So that may be another direction that we can go in to get more shops involved if they see it as a marketing opportunity, potentially. I agree. And I think the value of being involved in your community is, I actually was just talking with my my brother about this last night, that the value of being involved in your community and showing that you care, I think goes a long way. I think that helps with the perception of our industry as a whole. There might be some parents of kids out there that don't quite understand what a shop is and Maybe they, they haven't seen an updated shop. And so when their child says, hey, you know what, this is an industry I'm interested in, as, a, as parents, they might just say, no, like the, you're not going to do that. Whereas, you know, again, going back to like the apprenticeship thing, and I, I speak so passionately about that part because I went through that program. I know what that program is all about. It was very impactful to me. But say if you have a child that even wants to go, say, to be an engineer at some point. Uh, and they want to work uh, on the engineering side of cars, like going and getting a good foundational, like understanding of how a shop works and and how things work in a car or a truck or whatever it is, is so impactful. And and to be able to, as a shop, provide that platform for uh, a, a young person to to impact their life. I think that's the way we have to look at it. It's not just, hey, we're trying to turn this person from you know, starting in our shop and to working here the rest of their lives, it's really trying to change the perception of the industry because there's a lot of times where it's it's not great. No, it's not great. Well, and in the same school district I was telling you about, there was parents that actually told the counselor, counselor that, you know, I don't want my student, I don't want my kid working on cars in a dirty shop. Well, you know, as things move along, you know, these engineering students, those are smart kids. And they're finding an appeal and interest in automotive. You know, we may lose them to an engineering degree at some point, but if they stick, that's great because it's that mentality. And these, you have to be smart to be doing this. And I think that's the other thing is that people have to understand this isn't nuts and bolts anymore. This is, you know, massive computer networks, high level electricity. There's so much involved. It's so computerized that they've got to be smart. You know, not just have a lot of dexterity and spatial relations, but they've got to have some smarts, right? You know, this isn't the dumping ground anymore. It can't be the dumping ground anymore. So, and I think that schools that, you know, like Beaverton School District, those kids, it's a lottery system to get in. Those kids want to be in the program. 
and they've got a wait list. And that's those are the kids that, that are going to succeed the most. It's not the kids that just got shoved in there because maybe this will work for this kid. Nothing else is working, right? <clears throat> and sometimes that is. Maybe sometimes that's true. Well, and I think, you know, we, we talk, again, I, I feel like I bring this up all the time, but the stat that ASC came out with that 42%, now 41% of students leave the industry within the first two years, that's telling to me. And one, if you're not... You know, I think for us, we we have to draw quality students into the programs. And so not just putting bodies in the programs, but really good quality bodies into the programs. And, you know, if you're able to, like you said, Margaret, appeal to that, that student that might think, hey, I'm going engineering all the way. And once they get in, they see all of the tools that a shop has and the ability to, to kind of tinker and play with things that you probably don't get exposure to other than, otherwise, you might get somebody like that to stick and, and be a really, really good addition to your shop. And so, you know, I think overall, I think that that mentality is something that's got to change in our industry of just thinking that you're going to have a student come in you're going to have them sweep the floor and that you're, you know, if you put a high performing engineering student or somebody that wants to go to be an engineer back sweeping the floor, they're going to lose interest immediately. And granted, there's, there's some things I think I still feel like you have to pay your dues at some level, but show them why it's a great industry to work in. Don't just shove them in the back and say, you know, find something to do, like have a plan, figure it out. Like that's what the, Dan alluded to that with the apprenticeship program and how powerful that is because there's structure around it and there's structure around how, how to coach these shops up on, on how to treat their people. And I think some of it's forced to happen right now, right? Because there's such a lack of people out there that a lot of these dealer principals, the shops in general, they're looking at it from the standpoint of we've got to change something because this, you know, they're feeling the pain now. They're really feeling the pain now. So hopefully that's a piece of, of getting young people into shops that I think, it, again, I, I can't say this enough, but the paradigm shift of it's not just a, like throwing somebody out there and hoping they, they can swim. It's truly giving them some guidance and, and, being, and being a leader, leading them and showing them that we are a great industry. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and even if they are. So, for instance, Benson High School has an automotive program. And they were bringing all these kids over to this shop for a tour. And I was working there that day. And my the shop owner said, I don't have time for this tour. Can you take kids on the tour? So I took them on the tour. And one student, he was lagging behind. He was sticking his nose in different cars. He asked the techs a couple questions and really polite and everything. And yeah, I said to him, do you have a part-time job? And he said, no. Do you want a part-time job? Well, Sure. I said, I want you to come back and talk to Mike afterwards. Well, this kid is an engineering student. He's there every summer. He's there every break. You know, he's a fantastic kid and he's learned so much and he's so mechanically inclined that you can teach him really quickly. And even though he's not there full time all the time, he's been a huge asset and he's got his license so he can run the errands and go get the parts or come in and take care of the oil change or flip the tires. And he's just been I hope he just quits the whole engineering thing and sticks. On it. <laughs> I hope he listens to this. <laughs> or he will be a much better engineer because yes. of that experience. Right. That's 100%. right. So the stuff he's working on is performance cars and some old classic restorations. And there's so much to learn doing that. And he's 
I just love this kit. He's terrific. And, and but they're hard to find. But I mean, if you, if you're looking, you can find them, but that's it. I don't think there's enough people looking, you know, going in those areas, looking, and talking to these kids. Um, yeah. It's much like my TV remote. Like if I don't find it or if I, if I don't look, I'm not going to find it. It's probably buried in a couch cushion somewhere and I really got to dig for it, but let's put some of this into practical application. And so when I say that, Let's put ourselves in the shoes of a, a shop manager, right? So somebody's got, uh, you know, they're looking at this and they're saying, okay, we want to start working with youth and, and you know what, what the heck, I'm going to bring a, I'm going to try to go to a junior in high school and bring a junior in high school into our shop. What's that look like? Like, and I feel like we've distanced ourselves so far from when we used to do that pretty consistently to now you don't see too many high school students in shops. So if I'm that manager that's sitting out there and I'm trying to put together a plan of like, okay, I want to start this. I want to start doing this consistently and, and being able to, to get somebody in. What's my first step? Well, you got to find that student just like any other employee, which, you know, that that's connecting with the school. And I tell businesses, you need to be on a first name basis with the tech ed automotive teacher at your local school. Don't worry about counselors. Don't worry about administration. Know that teacher and offer to be on their advisory board and be involved with them. And and then I tell my instructors, when you do have students, the first place you look to place them is who's on your advisory board, who shows up. Who helps you out? Who donates things? That's where you want to connect. So it's it's a relationship that has to start between the instructor and a service manager. And that's right. how you find the best students because everybody only wants those best students. They don't want all, just the best ones. Yeah, it's true. Being on an advisory board, you can cherry pick. And even those schools are not, you know, at least at the community college level, they're not allowed to refer or recommend. But what they do is they say, call Margaret. And I know if I get that call from one of the instructors, they think highly of this student. And then I start reaching out to find them a place to be. But it's really, and those people that I'm contacting are also on the advisory board or have been really active and they've accepted my volunteers on a regular basis. And you know, so it's kind of like a paper, you know, you paid for this, you volunteered for that. I'm not going to forget you. I'm going to make sure you've got somebody you know, the first opportunity that somebody comes up, I know that they've got this structure for a student, but I'm very careful about where I put them. I mean, I've got one gal right now. She needs a job. She's got a year to go and she's been in a shop and this guy is verbally abusive and she's put up with it for a year. So, I mean, now I'm looking for someplace that's going to be, you know, supportive of her and understand she's got three kids and, you know, that's not going to be an easy pick, but to be verbally abusive to this woman is just, then she called the ambulance for a panic attack the other day. What is that? I mean, how is that a decent way to treat somebody? She went in as a technician. He stuffed her in as a service writer. Why? Because maybe she wasn't competent enough as a tech, but you know, either way, I mean, there's bad places. There are bad places and that'll, that'll burn a person out. That's that 42%. You know, we eat, we eat our young, like George Aaron at ASC said, we eat our young. We just abuse them for the first two years and they're busy buying tools and spending tons of money. And, you know, they don't see that this is uh, the, there's no path to the golden land when you're being treated like that. It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. So, and several students go into, well, we don't have an apprenticeship program in Oregon. I wish we did, but I know two women who left automotive to go into the electrical field. They knew how much they'd make. 
every six months, they knew how much more they would be making. They know what their training is going to be. They've got this clear pathway of what they're going to have down the road. And, you know, that's unfortunate that we don't have that kind of a structure here for these students. I'm actually taking notes as you're, you're saying this, because that's that, that's great stuff. And and I think to go back to that point or really the practical application of it, if I'm that 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 shop manager, so now I've, I'm reaching out to the school, I'm getting on their advisory. And one thing I was going to say is, oh, you can't you can't just call up and say, hey, give me your best student. And it's funny because I talked to so many instructors that are like, oh, my goodness, the amount of calls I get around graduation time to say, hey, give me your best student. And all of them are like, where have you been at? Like, I, I haven't talked to you in years. And all of a sudden, you're calling me asking for my best student. Sorry, they're all taken. Like, they're, they're gone. And it's true. They all have jobs. Yeah. Yeah, they do. They do have jobs. It's just a matter of finding them the right place to be so that they're content and learning and happy. That's the tough part. It, it really is. And I, I always equate the shop school relationship to that of a like a car dealership where you've got the salesperson and the service manager. And the only time that the service manager sees the salesperson is when something they need something. And so I, I, I kind of use that analogy a lot because I think it hits home with people. But that's when you're on the instructor side, it's really irritating. Like you're working your tail off. And in some cases, some of these programs are having a really tough time getting enrollment and you could help them as a shop get more enrollment, but instead you're calling them at graduation time asking for their best graduate. And I think I, I see I see that side as being extremely frustrating with instructors, at least the ones I talk to anyways, where they, you know, they see that phone number come up on their phone and they're like, I wonder what he wants. I wonder what she wants, you know? Right, right. You know, we had a program out here that is doing fantastic now, but before they replaced the instructor, you know, they, they got a new instructor in there and they started going through the program to revamp it. There was two broken brake lights. The tool room was full of used paint that the school needed someplace to store. They found a car. They found a car in the weeds. They took away 650 tires and two 40-yard dumpsters. You know, where were these shops then? They were busy complaining that they couldn't find any technicians, and two miles from their shop was a program that was just tanking bad. Literally I mean, how collapsing. did it get that? How did the school let it get that bad? And second of all, if you're if you want technicians, get off your butt. You have to get involved with your schools because that's the only place they're going to come from. And this one in particular, I know one of these shop owners whose kids went through the program and they're working in their businesses now. I'm like, you knew it was that bad. You knew it was that bad. How, that's terrible. Broken equipment every place. I mean, these students, it was just a gut course. They just took it because they knew they could just get a grade and not worry about it. So now it's completely better. I mean, there's programs like that out there. And for, for them to get that bad, I blame it on our industry. The school as well, but I blame it on our industry. You know, get your nose in there and figure out what you can do to help. Well, not only that, like there's opportunities to hold the school accountable too, right? Like where if, if you see the program collapsing before your eyes, maybe raise a flag and say, this is not good. Like, this is not going the right direction. And this is the opposite of what we need. Why are there 650 tires out there? Why is, yeah. there, <laughs> why is there a closet filled with old paint at the school? You know, I mean, and that, and, you know, and there's been articles about this too, where these programs are buried in the back of the school. So the perception is that it's a pit anyhow. I mean, I still have a school here in the state, and I'm going to get in their face pretty soon. 
these kids, their classroom is outdoors. They work outdoors on cars, under tarps. They just got a grant and they did a remodel and that program didn't get anything, nothing. And now I think their instructor is left. Well, no surprise. Right. What's the surprise there? I mean, there's, it's just, there's no dignity in working out there in the ground. It's, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that. What perception are you setting for the other kids that, you know, you talked about that, that student that was in, like geared towards going to engineering. That person's probably not going to do that. Like, why would you? You're not going to get your top technicians in a program like that because who wants to work like that? Nobody, not a 15 year old, not a 30 year old. You don't want to be outside working outdoors and laying on the ground. And then you have to go to your class afterwards. No, it's just not okay. No. What, what advice would you give to a shop that struggles with the relationship with a school? And I think we talk about it a lot from the standpoint of get on an advisory committee. What I've seen since we've dove more into schools on the wrenchway side is almost a, at times having to push an instructor to do something like to, to get them to not really buy in, they're bought in, but like, get them to be open to relationships from industry, because I think this is a, this is a twofold problem, right? Industry is not reaching out enough. And then once we do, the schools aren't overly receptive a lot of times to help. And I don't know what it is about that. And I don't know if you see it, but Dan, I don't, I, I, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on that part because I, I, that relationship is just mind boggling to me. I, I I don't get it at times. You know, yes. And, and being a teacher, I understand that exactly. It's like, I know what I'm going to teach. I don't need you telling me what to teach. I have, I got this curriculum. This is what I do. So it's real hard for an instructor to say, to ask, what shouldn't I be teaching? Really? You want me to get rid of doing carburetors? I can't teach. That's my favorite lesson. If you have an advisory meeting, you have to ask for advice. It's not a time to just brag about your program and talk about all the great things you do. They don't need to hear that. They need to give you advice to help bring your program more in line with industry. So that's, you know, I'm hard on my teachers in that way and that I will direct them that way. You you have to listen. You You have to ask for help and then implement what they recommend as well. So you're right. It is a two-way street. You know, they need to know the first names of their service managers in the area around their school, just like those service managers need to know that teacher. It's a relationship that has to be built, and it takes some time, and that it has to have to have that mutual respect. So this is kind of a difficult question, but maybe instructors that just aren't cutting it, like that, that they just aren't, maybe their heart's not in it, they're there for a paycheck. And it's not necessarily about the kids. I mean, is that still a thing? I think so. <laughs> I, I've seen it happen. I've I've had instructors. I know I've been brought in from an ASC perspective to try to help get a school accredited. They want to accredit their automotive program. And I realized it was really the purpose of that was to make that instructor retire. So <laughs> you know, they had to find a way to get this instructor. So they want to get it accredited. You're going to do all this work. And they're saying, I'm done. So, I mean, it, there's games that are played like that. But there are instructors who are riding it out. And unfortunately, we had a school a couple of years ago. I had a dealer contact me and said, Dan, this school in my hometown, uh, the auto thing is struggling big time. Can you help? Well, 
by the time I called in, it was already on the school board agenda to close it. So, you know, there's not much we can do at that. But, and it was, I blame it on the instructor. They really didn't champion it. They were just kind of teaching what they wanted. So that's unfortunate. Well, too, I think the teachers get so burnt out because they, yeah. they go from funding to no funding, funding to no funding, Perkins, no Perkins, you know, and then they get this $300 budget and oh well, bump it to $500. I mean, just beat them down over and over and over again. You know, so, you know, I know an instructor like that. I know, I know that he's, he's capable because of our retirement system. He can retire really soon. And I know that's what he's doing. I mean, during, at one point, they cut him back to part-time. He's been in this school for over 20 years. The students love him. It's not the best program, but you know, I, I see a program that it's not the best program, but his students love it. And he has a lot of students in it and they're real gearheads, right? So maybe he's not following the perfect curriculum. Maybe they're not getting the latest, greatest, but if we're getting interest, you know, infused into these students at high school, then we can, we can take care of the rest at the college level, or we can take care of the rest in the shops. But this instructor, he's so burnt out, you know, from being put on part-time and back to full-time and having to fight for a couple hundred dollars for his program, he's riding it out. He's just about had it. And who can blame him? Exactly. Who who can blame you for that? And fluctuations in budgets. And I, I mean, that's, I know of multiple schools, and I don't know if this is just a Wisconsin thing, but if they don't use up their budget in one year, they don't get that same budget the next year. So as like Margaret, you said something about running your business, like a, or running your school, like a business. And this was, it, it sucked because there were times where they knew they didn't need, and we're not talking hundreds of dollars just at the tech school level, but like tens of thousands of dollars that are maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars in some cases, but that they felt they had to use it because if they didn't, they wouldn't get budget allocation for the next year. I'm like, something's wrong with that. Like that, yeah. like inherently yeah. wrong with that. Right. From a taxpayer standpoint, that's not okay. It, it's just not okay. And, you know, yeah, the whole budgeting thing for the schools and to budget for schools on a year to year basis, instead of, you know, and things change every single year as far as budgeting and curriculums and everything like that. How can they, how can they keep pushing forward when they keep, they keep juggling the, the playing field is changing all the time. It's very frustrating for them. I think very frustrating. Yeah. Well, that um, as far as that that relationship, and I want to kind of go back to that a little bit because that this is something again near and dear to my heart. Where I had an instance where I reached out to a local high school instructor, and we have some rural areas in Wisconsin here, right? Just like most states, you have rural schools, rural communities, and said, "Hey, you know what? We want to help you out. We we want you know we're we want to bring resources to you, help support you." And the response I got back in an email was, we don't have an automotive program. And so I said, you know, I sent back, we don't mind, we'd be willing to work with shops to be able to get them in, do a job shadow or do a shop tour, you know, whatever it is, we'll try to help it out. And there was zero desire. And when I asked that instructor question, I had that in the back of my mind, because that was so irritating to me that there was just no motivation whatsoever uh, for them to be able to to kind of go outside of their normal day-to-day life. And in this particular instance, that instructor had a background of woodworking. And so the focus was carpentry and woodworking and anything outside of that just wasn't going to happen. 
And that's is so irritating because that has nothing to do with the kids. Like that has nothing to do with what their interests are. It has to do with what his interests were. And I just don't think you're doing your job if you're doing that. Right. Like I, I maybe I'm being too hard on the, the teacher, but at, at the same time, I'm like, my goodness, like if it, it's not just our trade, but any trade, like if somebody wants to go into to work on airplanes or like go be a, an electrician or a plumber, maybe with the carpentry background, there'd be some correlation, but how restrictive that is in, in being able to show a student what opportunities are out there when they probably, especially in a rural area, don't know that there are opportunities out there. I, to me, it just, that's that relationship side of the, this industry school thing that I, I am struggling with so much just to try and get the two to talk and then get the motivation there to, to be able to talk. So I, I don't know if either of you have any advice for a situation like that. I, I'm sure I can't be the only one that struggled with that of like trying to reach out to a school and just not getting any reception back. Jay, I, I would say that's where I come up. I, I bring up the fact that that your school has has students that are interested in the transportation industry. Flat out say that there are they're they're not all, they don't all want to do woodworking. That's you know, and I get that that that's what you teach. You don't have a facility, so now you need to find out if not the instructor, then it's the counselor or a, or some career person or administration. And what is that pathway? How, where do you, where do these kids get identified? And then how do you get them into youth apprenticeship as a junior? Because that is available at every school and they can be at a local dealer or an independent and gaining that experience that they want to do. So you got to find, find the pathway at the school. There is one. You just have to find it and help them encourage it and make it, make it uh, known. Well, and, and Jay, in that instance, I'm thinking that again, we've got an automo- we've got a, a woodworking student who woodworking instructor who's being asked to do something outside of what he's been hired to do. He's a woodworking instructor. True. So so you know, where is it his job to start introducing other career paths to students? That's not his job, right? That it goes back to the counselor, or the transition specialist, or whatever they're calling that person who helps students with their with their career path. And you know that. That's something I actually went to a a local high school principal, you know, in a rural community, there's no reason why an automotive program shouldn't be full. You know, I talked to one school, very urban and all of his, most of his students didn't have a driver's license. I went to a very rural school and I asked him, so are your kids getting driver's license? He says, oh, heck yeah. He said around here, if they can't afford the insurance, they'll go fish trout out of the river and sell it or split firewood or stack firewood so that they've got a driver's license to get where they want to be. And so what I'm seeing is that these, that there's, there is that opportunity everywhere, but it's a different mentality from, from city to, to rural community and rural communities. You know, those are the kids that that's where we're going to get our skilled traits. It really is. They, they're more comfortable in that area. Yeah. This is a fascinating subject. And and one that, I think we've got a lot of work to do between industry and and school, industry and education, right? And some of it is just mending relationships that probably haven't been there for a long time. I know one of the things locally here, our local high school didn't have any relationships with anybody at the local tech school. And it was kind of, 
it was one of those things where both sides thought, ah, you know what? I just, I was just over there. I was just over there. And when we got back and looked at it, it had been like 10 years since they had touched base with each other. And so being able to have those opportunities to have the local tech school come in and present to the kids, you know, part of their job is recruiting. And even if the school can't get out and talk to that class, how about that school then kind of goes back to that shop that's asking for their best technician and says, okay, here's the game plan. I need you to go in and talk to the school. We need to fill the seats in our program. Uh, you can go talk to the school. We'll help give you some information about what the program's all about, price, all that stuff, how we can get you funding to pay for your college. But to me, that's where a healthy ecosystem starts is that if if that instructor that is very frustrated with industry gets that call, if they can somehow turn that into, okay, I don't have anybody for you right now but work with me to work with your local program to get our tech school full so that we have enrollment and we have a really strong program. I think that's where we can start to make some impact is that, you know, industry, I think in a lot of ways wants to help. They're not proactive a lot of times about it, but if you're able to turn that back on them from a tech school perspective and say, we need more help at the high school level, but we don't have enough recruiting staff or we don't have enough educational staff to be able to go out and talk to all these schools help us out here and we can help you out. And it's just, if we can get that, I just feel like we could have so much more impact on the entire industry. Maybe I'm off base, but what what are your thoughts on that? Well, I was just coming up just as I've just been brainstorming to myself. And one of the thoughts I had was if we, like my association, if I put together a, put together a school tour. So I've got five schools within this area and 50 businesses and I get a short bus and we take a, a load of bus of school of shop owners and we hit every school. Right. And they see what each school has to offer. They can meet all the kids. They meet the instructor. Business cards are exchanged. They're handing out swag to the students, whatever. And that way they know what these programs and then we're making those connections with these these instructors who know who these businesses are, who now have have business cards. These shops aren't going there out of with no interest at all. They're going to be going in there with some kind of interest. But I think I might try to do something like that, because if I could have 10 shops go and see five schools in a single day, that would be tremendous. Right. And then that's, you know, what does that translate as 20 students per school know about five new businesses or 10 potential owners. But I think. Maybe bringing the shop owners to the school somehow might be what we need to do. Because, you know, with them saying, I didn't even know they still had a program or I heard their program wasn't that good. You know, there's a huge remodel going on. Maybe this is the time to put together a a short bus full of shop owners and go check out the remodel. Right. With students in the school, with students, not just touring around an empty classroom with no kids around with students in the classroom, come in, introduce yourselves, mingle, something like that. I think that might be a good way to make shops more comfortable and knowing what these schools have and have a visual of what goes on there. I think that might be a really good way to connect them to the schools. I love that. They're not going to do it themselves. No. And that's helping build relationships that that's breaking down some of those barriers. And I, I think that's a really good idea. Well, and again, as an association, it becomes a win-win because I'm supporting my members 
and they're networking amongst other businesses. And then they're showing up in these classrooms and all these students say, oh, hey, this guy came in from ABC shop today and he was super nice and look what he gave me. You know, so I just think that it's a win-win for everybody, right? So anyhow, I'm just thinking on that now and I think that's something I, I might love try. That. Yeah. Jay, Jay, I recently had a um, contact from a dealer, principal owner, who, why their high school doesn't have an automotive program. And I said, well, you know, and actually I graduated from this high school many years ago and they never had one. There's never been one in the facility. And I know the instructors, I've talked to the instructors and they're either overwhelmed with what they're doing or that's, they just have no interest in doing it. It's not going to come from the instructors. So what I did is I connected that, that dealer and they actually just got a new principal, which I thought, oh, no, this is going to throw a wrench in it. Well, the new principal has been with the district for a while. So actually, the three of us are going to meet in a couple months and sit down together and see if we can come up with a plan to implement that. And I know the dealer just wants an automotive program in the building, just, just like they see other places. We just want that. Just build, a, build an auto shop. Probably not going to happen, at least not initially. So in my job, you know, I travel the state and I see all sorts of innovative ways to teach automotive. So I'm going to bring that part and just say, hey, what about this? Or could we do this? Or And, and hopefully this principle will champion this cause. Realize, wow, I've got a business person with their checkbook at the table and they want something done. I need to do something. So I just want to get the two together and, and kind of help moderate that plan of what we can do to make this happen. And that's the beauty of the thing that both of you just said is that, and some, something that I admire, I think about both of you is that you're kind of the conduit between uh, these relationships, right? And trying to, to pull them together and get them to work better. And I, I think that's such a big deal. One thing I did want to do is give a shout out. I don't know if either of you have heard of the automobile gallery up in Green Bay, Daryl Eckert up there. They're doing some really cool, innovative things to bring awareness to to our industry through some some different different things. I mean, they, they've got some really cool things in the works. So if any of you are out there looking at trying to figure out ways to get young people involved, I would encourage you to reach out to Daryl at the Automobile Gallery because he's uh, he's doing some great stuff up there. So just a shout out to him. I, I think what they're doing up there is is awesome. So man, we're we're about up on our hour already and it, it went fast. So I, I just want to kind of open the table to, to both of you to one, maybe state some last comments that you might have and two, uh, let people know how they can get in touch with you. I'll go first. So to get in touch with me, my email address is margaret, M-A-R-G-A-R-E-T, at about N-A-T-A dot O-R-G, Northwest Automotive Trades Association. My number is 503-423-7355. And my last comments. What are my last comments? I guess it's just really, I'm very pleased to see Wrenchway actually, you know, speaking my mind for me all the time and reaching out. And I think this is going to you know, it's a slow process. I think we'll see a lot of good things come out of this as we keep moving forward. And and I really appreciate what, what you're what you're doing, Jay. You, you actually you got it. You understand what we're looking at. There's so many challenges between the schools and the shops and the students. And so that means we'll, a lot. Yeah. Well, there's so many good coming out of this. So I mean, just having this conversation gave me lots of notes to 
to follow up on as well. So that's been great. Thank you. Yeah, so, so I can be reached at, at WADA, the Wisconsin Automobile and Truck Dealer Association. So if you Google that website, but my address email is dclecker at wada.org. You know, my message is every business, you have to hire youth. You have to hire as young as possible. And don't let the issues get in the way of why you can't. It, you have to do it. I've had dealers tell me that, oh, we budget. We have a budget to train youth. It, it, it has to be part of your business plan. So you need to do that. And wherever you are in the country, you have to know your child labor laws. Like, know those the state laws and know them well. And again, don't use them as a reason why you can't hire them. Know the law and then hire students that are with, within that law, within those uh, guidelines, and, and work with them that way. You know, it's you have to mentor students into your industry. You want more people in your industry? It's up to you to mentor them into your industry. And be careful not to mentor them out. And even with your new hires, as we know by these numbers of losing so many and eating our young, you are mentoring out of your industry. We have to stop doing that. And the other thing I'll put a plug in, in is School Connect. I mean, when when I heard about that, and what a fantastic, I've been trying to fill that role in between too, trying to help with right. schools and businesses and connecting with who has this to give to whom. School Connect is a great concept. And I appreciate Jay and you and your team for offering that at no yeah. cost to schools and yeah. get and businesses to get involved and 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 my session, we talked about that could be a way how they can connect with students. You can say, we want to uh, have your students job shadow with us and the school can find you. So thank you for doing that. And I, that's, a, that's a big asset. I agree, Dan. I When I saw School Connect, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's like Margaret on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> what I do, I maintain this list so I can blast people. This shop has an engine. These people need engines, you know, all this sort of thing. So it's just great. So, I mean, this summer, my goal has been to get more and more shops signed up with it and then, you know, start pounding at the schools when they come back in the fall. But I think that's going to be great. And, you know, one last thought that I had, another one of these little ideas that came up is, what about scholarships for the shops that are willing to hire an apprentice to help pay for them, right? You know, because the dealers, they've got deeper pockets. And so my most of my constituents are small, small independent businesses. So what if there's a scholarship they can apply for? They've had a student there for X period of time. They can apply for the scholarship to help offset some of the expense. So just another idea. You work on that, Jay. Figure it out, okay? <laughs> I, we did a podcast with some some folks down in Illinois who have some grant money that they're able to get to to be able to pay for their apprentices. And I thought that podcast, I don't know which episode it was, but it was brilliant. It was some really, really good stuff. So I, I think there's there's things in the works will make some of this stuff happen, but it doesn't happen out without people like you. And, and I, I appreciate both of you for, for joining us today and taking some time out of your busy schedules to, to sit down and talk about some things that I think are really, really important. So a true pleasure to have both of you on and, and I look forward to talking to you, hopefully on another podcast at some point. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Jay. This has been fun. Nice chatting with you, Dan. Yes, you too, Margaret. And anytime, Jay, you know, get all to me anytime. Be glad to talk. Thank you, guys. Thank you.